this up a little bit. Test. How is the uh, how is the public address for my am I heard? Did everybody hear me? Okay. Okay, because we've been we've been struggling the last couple of weeks, so we're doing our best to get it back together. Trying to use both of these in concert again. I think we made a mistake by me going down there and and, and leaving this microphone. <coughs> So, yeah, what happens, uh, TJ, is even though this microphone works for recording, if I don't have this one, I don't have a good sound for the audience here. So we've got that dynamic to deal with as well. So, okay. Oh, Jane, uh, Terry's not here, so could you uh, start the CD recording today? Taken care of. You do not have to do that. Okay. Who did it? Oh, you already did it. I can't hear you because normally you're yelling at me and I'm doing that. Everybody laugh. They they know that's true. They do. It's only funny if there's truth to it, you know. Okay. Uh, Announcements today. Happy birthday, Joy. Where's Joy? Where is Joy? Oh, Joy is how old today? About 62. She was. She went from what? 20, what was she last year? You're not allowed to say? Okay, I would say 24. And this year she's 61. What causes that? Husbands and twins. Yeah, you could probably, probably survive the twins, but... The, the husband is knocking her out. Uh, daylight savings. How about that, huh? We'll go home in the daylight for the first time in six months or whatever it was. That'll be great. Uh, old man uh, band practice, 7 o'clock Thursday. And we're going to keep practicing until we get one song right. Um, yeah, could, t- could be a while. Um, I have the... The Cliffside NCAA Extravaganza. Huge prizes. It is all pure luck. And so, so focus on the huge prizes. If I win, it of course will be great skill. But, but I haven't won for a long time. And as I said, my brother got in the top five and won a fan last year. And, and so that proves it was just complete total luck. <laughs> Uh, I should tell you this because I get in trouble because I don't. A number one seed has never lost to a number 16 seed. So if you pick number ones over number 16, you will always be right. And the more you get right, the better you will be. Most of the time, the, the, lower, the lower number is, is the higher seed. Most of the time, the lower number wins every game. So you could pick ones all the way across and probably win one of the huge prizes. I said probably because somebody will get a lot. Hi, Joy. Happy birthday. I told everybody you were in your 60s now. That's true, isn't it? Everyone says because of your husband. That's true also, isn't it? It's. <laughs> but anyway, uh, it's a lot of fun. Uh, all you're doing, some people pick uh, teams based on what color uniform they're wearing. 
or whether or not they ever went through that state and ate at a good restaurant. Anything works, but just know that if you pick the number ones and the number twos and the number threes and the number fours, maybe a five, to win, then the chances are you will get the huge, extraordinary prize that we give away, which we spend a lot of time picking these prizes out. There's a lot of effort, and they're not easy to find. Okay, they're all at Walmart, every single one of them. But it is a lot of fun, and, uh, and I hope you'll participate, because the more people that I beat, the happier that I am. And, of course, conversely. Uh, but, yes, if you pick a 16 seed to win, you're just dead money. And, and uh, that we don't want you to do that. So, please, uh, you, you have to fill it out before you go home today. And uh, here, dear. And if you need help filling it out, uh, ask Kathy. She wins more than anybody else here. I almost broke my neck. And that, I think, let's see, is there anything else to talk about? Do we have anyone watching the kids today? Amanda. Wow. Okay. So I think that uh, that'll do it. Uh, children, you are dismissed. Yes. It's going good. Okay. I'm almost able to get out of my announcement job. I can see it. I'm that close. I'm just really close. (laughs) Okay, kids, you're dismissed. Sorry that you have Amanda. I know. I'm sorry. Please don't cry. Okay. Okay, here we go, TJ. Fire me up. March 13th, 2011, lecture discussion number, um, I'm going to call this special two, so let me repeat that. March 13th, 2011, lecture discussion number special two, and it's primarily uh, Ezekiel 38-39. I'm hoping to get to Judges 19, 20, and 21, depending on time again, and maybe a couple other things thrown in. And quickly, for those of you who are listening by internet, I am aware and we are aware that the February 27, 2011 uh, lecture had technical issues and we intend, I intend to repeat a great deal of that. Uh, um, uh, it was uh, not discernible and certainly was, a, was a, we're very sorry, but something failed. We don't know if we had uh, problems with the equipment or battery failure, whatever it was, um, I know that that lecture did not come through, and I'll take care of that, and not this week, probably not next week, but the following week. So that will show up again for those of you who are on Podbean and the and iTunes. Okay, again, here we go. March 13, 2011. Now, it's been quite a, quite the week, as John pointed out, and uh, and here we go again. 
I'm intending to do Ezekiel 38 and 39 today because that is the conflict. This is a special sermon on that issue. That's, a, that's about the conflict in the Civil War. And what did we have as well? We have uh, Japan hit really hard. Libya is in civil war and simultaneously Japan is hit very hard. A 9.0, some would say a 9.1, but most are saying 9.0 uh, magnitude earthquake, a 33-foot tsunami Tsunami or tidal wave, if you will, thousands dead. Uh, one town they believe 10,000 are gone. And John absolutely correct. It happened in the middle of the night. They never knew, just gone. And I know you've seen the films and, and all those pictures, all the people missing and injured. I was here. I was a young boy. I was in the fifth grade uh, in 1964. Uh, when uh, the uh, Great Alaska earthquake happened on March the 27th. I was through that. I know what that was like. And once you've been through one of those, you will never forget that. Uh, I know, Cindy, you and Ken were here, right? Who else was here? Oh, Ken was not here? I know Bill and Bonnie were, were here during that. So not very many of us around anymore that went through that. You were here, Marie. Were you here? You just left, huh? Well, the, the sound was astonishing. Was John here, Jane? John was here. You never forget the sound of that. And, and I know that when another one of that size hits, I'm going to know instantly what it is. And I can just imagine what those folks went through. I know uh, what they were feeling when that, when that baby blew. And, and, uh, and then that tsunami, of course, that's where all the destruction is. So watching all of this, the Middle East on a precipice, Saudi Arabia is sending their police and their militaries into the street to keep their king in power. If Saudi Arabia falls, the economic destruction, they'll shut that oil off. And we'll be staring at tremendous fuel shortages. And if we have fuel shortages, what goes hand in hand with fuel shortage? Food shortage. So we have this horrific destruction of the northeast coastal areas of Japan, nuclear reactor failure, simultaneous with with uh, the Middle East. And if you just think back just a short time, we had what in Chile? We had earthquakes in Chile. We had an earthquake off the coast of Indonesia that sent a tsunami in there. We had an earthquake in Haiti. We had an earthquake recently in Christchurch, New Zealand. And now we have one in Japan. Those are coming really quickly, one right after another. They talk about where we're at, by the way. Welcome to Anchorage. We are in the ring of fire. If you look at that, the volcanic ring of fire as well as the earthquake zone, uh, there's this large uh, semicircle in the uh, Pacific, and we're right in the middle of it. And that's true. We can prove it. All we have to do is look at the history of this city. That's why we don't build buildings, those of you who wonder why we have no skyscraper. There's still a lot of people that remember why you don't build skyscrapers here. I, I look at Los Angeles and San Francisco and... Oh, my goodness. If they got a 9.2 like we did, uh, I can't even begin to imagine what would happen. It would rain. That earthquake up here lasted over five minutes. We had long conversations. We talked about what it was, what it could be. We watched things happen. It went on and went on and went on and went on. You thought it was never going to stop. 
Can you imagine a 9.4 for five and a half minutes in Los Angeles? It would rain glass for five and a half minutes. It would bury, it would be 10, 12, 15 feet worth of debris there. And they are right on this zone, just like us, the San Andreas Fault, just like Japan. Anyway, I just want to point out all these earthquakes are coming now. And it, it's, it seems the world is filled with political upheaval and earthquakes. And whenever the Middle East is the place of military and religious turmoil, then the Bible students, that's you, that's me, we must ask the same question that the disciples asked of Christ. They asked Christ three questions. It's called the three questions of Matthew 23.3. Well, I should read it to you. Let's do that. In case you're not familiar with it, it's confusing if you don't understand how the how he answered them because he didn't answer them in order. But let me um, let me find them. I'm sorry, twenty four three. Did I say twenty three three? I meant twenty four three. Now, he, as, he, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? That's question number one. And what will the sign of your coming? That's question number two. And of the end of the age? That's question number three. There's three questions there, and he asked those three questions. Or they asked him those three questions. So we should also ask, are we nearing, because the, the last one is, uh, what is the sign, essentially, of the end of the age of the Gentiles? Let me repeat them, they rephrase, they're this. When will Jerusalem be destroyed? They asked him that. When will Christ return? When will you return as king? You are prophet, you're going to be high priest, that's your second office, and then your third office will be Messiah king. When will you return as Messiah king? And then when will the age of the Gentiles end? The, all the Jews want wanted the age of the Gentiles to end. They are sick of the age of the Gentiles. And they want it to end. And the age of the Gentiles began, as you know, or you should know, with Nebuchadnezzar sacking of Jerusalem and the subsequent Babylonian captivity of the Jewish people in 586 B.C. 586. So it had already gone on almost 600 years, over 600 years. When they asked him that question, we've had 600 years of the age of the Gentiles. When will it end? That's the third question. Because he told them Jerusalem was about to be destroyed. The temple about to be destroyed. And they said, okay, when will the temple be destroyed? When are you going to come back and be king? And uh, when are we going to get rid of these Gentiles over us? In Matthew 24, 4 through 8, that's what it is. And, and for those who, who are listening, Jesus Christ, the ancient of days, the Lord God Almighty, answers his disciples and he answers their third question first. And that's very important. So he answers the age of the Gentile question first. Then he answers the first question second, which is when Jerusalem will be destroyed. And then he answers their second question. When will you return as Messiah King third? And if you don't know that as you read 24, uh, Matthew 24, you're going to be very confused. And I said that really fast. See me later if you need me to go over that uh, after the after the lecture. The age of the Gentiles will end, he tells them, 24, 4 through 8. Let's go ahead and read that. And Jesus answered and said to them. Now he's answering the third question first. When will the age of the Gentiles be over? 
And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. The end of the age of the Gentiles is not yet. Here's how you can tell it's really close now. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. That's the beginning of the end, if you will. That's the beginning of sorrows. Okay. So don't pay any attention when you got, you got wars. That's not a big deal. Little wars, not a big deal. That's not it. You got to pay attention to nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Now, when that happens, that's a big deal. That's a Hebrew idiom for something that had never happened in all of the history of man until when? 1914. That's when it happened. What happened in 1914? World War One. Nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom is a Hebrew idiom for worldwide war. Okay? And we had, we have had a worldwide war. 1914, 1918, if you will. 1940, 1945. Some will say there's one war. Some will say there's two. From 1914 to 1945 was a worldwide war, they will say. Some will break it into two. I happen to believe that it is two, but that's neither here nor there. It's the first time in recorded history. Okay, let me say this. It's the first time in post-flood recorded history that we have ever had a world war. And my dad died in, uh, to think now, 2001. And he talked about, he was born 1911. He was a small boy in World War I, and he was a young man in World War II. And they knew that this was an unbelievable time. World War. Never happened before. It is a sign. Christ says, when you see World War, then the age of the Gentiles is coming to an end. So we have that, that sign. We've seen it. Or some of us have seen it. And then he says, what else are the other signs? So World War, we've had that. That's gone. World War... I read it. You tell me what it is. What comes next? What's the other sign? By the way, this is a big factor. It's going to be on the whole world. What's the other sign? I have world famine. And what else am I going to have? Why did I bring this up today? I wasn't going to do it. Why did I bring it up? Because earthquakes. I'm going to have world earthquakes. And then what am I going to have? I'm going to have pandemics, worldwide pandemics or epidemics, if you will. World pandemics. Now, my dad, you see, they had world war and a world pandemic at the same time. So what were they thinking? Man, it's got to be, we got to be close. Because they had the flu of the early 1900s. It killed millions. They had a world pandemic. Part of the reason they had that pandemic is because of what? Because of the war. That's right. And the war accomplished something that wasn't normally done. We'll get to that in a minute. So, those are your signs. World war we've already seen, but we're going to see starvation, epidemic disease, 
Earthquakes, also worldwide. World war, world starvation, world pandemics, worldwide earthquakes. When you see that, that is the beginning of the end of the age of the Gentiles. These indicate the age of the Gentiles is finally ending. And the tribulation, though, is beginning to come. The time of Israel's trouble, the time of Jacob's trouble. It's about Israel, by the way, the tribulation is. It isn't about the church. It's never called the time of the bride of Christ's trouble. It's always called the time of Jacob's or the time of Israel's trouble. Israel, the, the tribulation that is focusing on Israel, Three reasons there's a tribulation. One, God intends to have worldwide revival. Everyone's going to see God do things that they've never even imagined. We'll get to that in a minute, too, what it does to people. Also, he's going to end the wicked ones. That is the Antichrist and the false prophet and the followers of the Antichrist. And he is going to turn the stubborn people towards him. Who are the stubborn people? Israel. That is the purpose of the tribulations. Clear as a bell in Scripture. You can't mistake it. Nowhere does it talk about the church, the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ is not there. That is the Hebrew betrothal ceremony. See me later. I'll prove to you that the purpose is not on the bride. It is on the wife of YHVH. And that's kind of sort of where we left off last Sunday, looking at, at other pieces that point to the end of the age of the Gentiles. And what piece did I point? I grabbed besides those. I grabbed Ezekiel 38 and 39, this incredible invasion that is occurring, this northern invasion of Israel, a confederacy of nations led by Russia, a prophecy that fundamentally requires something to be true. It fundamentally requires that I have a nation of Israel to invade. Something that has not been true for, at, at, at minimum, 1,941 years. Or if you will, 2,597 years going back in Nebuchadnezzar. Some will make, some will say there was a nation of Israel that the Romans destroyed in 70 AD, but the Romans had control of that country. Israel was not in authority. It was still trodden down by the Gentiles, if you will. So we have not had a nation of Israel for 2,597 years until 1948. So this Ezekiel 38-39 prophecy has not been true, could not have occurred until 1948. And you should know that. That is the date of the rebirth of the nation of Israel. It's a great, great, miraculous fulfillment of an ancient prophecy. It's amazing you take nation of Israel for granted. All of us do. But again, let me bring my father up. He was stunned. They were all stunned. They had a world war. They had world pandemics. And they had the nation of Israel. My goodness, it's over. They were convinced positively that it was over. There was no way we're going another week. We've had, we've had tremendous signs. All we need now is for Russia, imagine 1948. All we need now is for Russia to invade Israel. Who was in their way, by the way? That's right, George S. Patton. Patton wanted to invade Russia. He knew it was a really good idea. But imagine what they thought, because this prophecy that Israel would be reborn, would reemerge, was long mocked 
by those who hold Scripture in contempt. There was no way Israel was going to be reborn. And there was no way Ezekiel 38 and 39 was ever going to be true because we never had a nation of Israel. And now all of a sudden, 1948, we have one. And there Israel stands today. And as I said last week, there Israel is today a validation, a testimony. It's unexplainable except for what it is. It is the preordained Prophecy truth from the true God of creation, the God of Israel, the Lord God Almighty, who is the Lord Jesus Christ. So the very existence of Israel screams and cries out what is true. Two things are true. The God of the world is the God of Israel, and the God of Israel is Jesus Christ. That's what it says by existing. And that happened in 1948. And because they exist, and because that is what they cry out by their very existence, they are loathed and hated, and they are the most loathed Israel is, and the most hated. And anyone or any nation that defends Israel will likewise be hated. And last week I offered that the root of communism is atheism, and that's the case. And therefore, communism seeks to exterminate Israel. Does that make sense to you? Communism is atheism, and therefore, because it is atheism, communism hates Israel. Does that make sense to you? Because Israel testifies that atheism is not true just by its very existence. It is the single greatest uh, billboard, if you will, flashing sign that has ever existed. And the root of Islam is also consumed with silencing this testimony, the witness that is Israel. Both communism and Islam are threatened to their core by the very existence of the nation of Israel. Islam was shocked by Israel's rebirth and they have been doing nothing but focusing on destroying it ever since it came into existence. Because of what it means, the implications of the existence of Israel to atheism and to every other religion, but particularly Islam. And thus, the communists and the Islamists, they join together, and that is Ezekiel 38 and 39. That's what we were doing last week. And they come, Russia and Turkey and Iran for certain, other nations we're not as sure of, but we are sure of Russia, Turkey, and Iran for certain. And when Russia moves, it will be almost like a reverse crusade They will gather their army and they will start to move and these other countries will come. I imagine a similar response to our Pearl Harbor, uh, for those of you who may may have uh, experienced that directly. I won't ask you to stand up, uh, but that was heroic times. Every that was they call that the greatest generation for a reason. But I imagine a similar response to Pearl Harbor. Men of all ages rushed from all over the United States to to fight. All of them. There was very few that did not. And I believe as Russia begins to march, men who hate Israel will come from everywhere. The revulsion of Israel is so great, they will be so eager... 
foaming with hatred. They're going to mass together. They're going to pour out of these countries. As as Russia begins to march and Turkey is going to come and Iran is going to come, I think you're going to see them pour out of Syria, Germany, France, Jordan. Everyone will want to be a part of the destruction of Israel as much as they can. Okay? And this, by the way, happens after I have a world war. And we've had world war. After Israel has come back, and Israel has come back, and we'll have earthquakes at their highest level ever. We'll have famine and starvation and food shortages and worldwide economic failure. Now I want to add in Isaiah 19, another piece. What's Isaiah 19? What is it? It's the blessing of who? Have to know. It's the blessing of Assyria. It is another sign. The blessing of Assyria, Israel, and Egypt. But the key is this one, Assyria. How can I have a blessing of Assyria at the end of the latter days when there hasn't been an Assyria for 2,600 years? And now we have what? Yeah, we have the Assyrians are back. They are, they are a nation. Do you understand the significance of that? 2,600 years I've had no Israel. 2,600 years I have no Assyria. Ezekiel 38, Isaiah 19 says, At the end of the age, I'm going to have Israel. I'm going to have Assyria. And Russia, Iran, and Turkey, and other nations are going to attack it. And it's going to, and Christ says, and it's going to be a time when we have incredible amounts of earthquakes. We have worldwide famine, worldwide disease, and worldwide Economic collapse. Okay? And here we are. All of those pieces are in place, are very close to being in place. World War, Israel, Syria, Turkey, Iran, Russia. Think about that. Turkey, Iran, and Russia, they're allied against Israel. The resurgence of communism. Atheism. Atheism dominates our academic world in this country. Dominates it. When I say atheism, I mean cessation of existence teaching. The school district is controlled by atheism. You can't get a degree in biology in a major university unless you believe in cessation of existence. You have to be an atheist. You have to conform to that. If you do not, you won't get a degree. So, all of this is happening. The rise of Islam, the longing for the 12th Imam. As you know, they, they'll tell you now, they believe the 12th Imam is on the earth, that he has come out of his abyss and he is on the earth. And what does he have to have? He has to have something in order to seize control of the Middle East. What must he have? And kill all the Jews. What must he have? He has to have chaos. And so they're about committing chaos in order to bring the 12th imam to power. That's what they believe. And they say it in all their speeches, especially at the United Nations. Now, that longing has been there for a while, but it is growing. It's ratcheting up. And so all of those are here now. Now, what remains? Make the case that earthquakes remain. Famine hasn't happened, really. Food shortages haven't happened. The economic collapse hasn't happened. I don't have pandemics. I don't have a one-world economy. Uh, Fuel sources have not been destroyed yet, and I do not have ten kingdoms. 
ten worldwide kingdoms. Let me go back through that list. All that remains are earthquakes. How many earthquakes are we having? I mean, you can't you can't help but notice. Now, I agree that, um, and I concede that we have registrative ability that we've not had before. We can record earthquakes in a manner that we've never been able to record. So we really don't know if the incident of earthquakes is significant other than the huge ones. We can tell if the big ones are happening because they impact people, but the small minor tremors and things we don't know. They may have always been happening. Um, but I would say to you that just in the last year, my goodness, if we have famine and food shortage, economic collapse, we break into ten kingdoms, we have a one-world economy, the fuel system of distributing fuel is, is seriously impacted, and we have worldwide disease, then that means we are very close to the end of the age of the Gentiles, which is what? What is that? If the end of the age of the Gentiles were to come very soon, like say, what's today? Sunday, I should know that. But let's say that it comes Wednesday. What is that? That is good news. Boys and girls, that's the greatest thing ever. I know it's really hard to watch people wiped out by waves and tsunamis, but if earthquakes are increasing and increasing at an incredible rate and intensity, that is good news. He didn't promise you a nice, warm, fuzzy life. What did he promise you? He promised you an eternal life and peace. Peace doesn't mean a wonderful, warm, fuzzy day. Peace means you can handle stuff. You have wisdom. You can take it, no matter what it is. So how close are we? That sums up last Sunday. That's pretty much where I left off. So now we're going to ask the obvious questions where we left off last week. Uh, I asked you, one of the key elements of Ezekiel 38 is the hook. We'll read that in a second. So you can start turning to Ezekiel 38. You can't beat me because I am a professional. And I am already there. The hook. What makes the hooks, if you will? What makes Russia move? That has been a difficult question to respond to, to answer for many, many years. And then I asked you, what is the difference between Gog, Magog, and Gog, Magog? And I hope you started to study that. What is the same between Gog, Magog, and and Gog, Magog? What does Gog, Magog have in common with Gog, Magog? One thing, right off the bat, what does Gog, Magog have in common with Gog, Magog? First, you've got to know that there's there's two Gog Magogs, and they are not the same Gog Magog. One Gog Magog is where? Ezekiel 38. Where's the other Gog Magog? Revelation 20. So what's the difference between the Gog Magogs and the, uh, of, of the two passages? What did they both do that's the same? They both attack Israel. So the obvious question becomes, why do they both attack Israel? Do they attack Israel for the same reason? One is led by Gog 
the ruler of Russia, in my, my view, I think that is obviously correct and the only defensible view. The other Gog Magog is led by who? Led by Satan. So do they attack Israel for the same reason? The Gog Magog in Revelation led by Satan is clearly and obviously an attempt by Satan to get people killed. That's the only purpose of it. Because who's on the throne of Jerusalem when he's attacking them? Christ is. Who's he? He's God, omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent God. Does he know the attack is coming? Duh. How much power does he have? He has all the power. All the power. So what's your chances of succeeding? Nil. How does Satan convince people to attack omnipotent God? See, why does he do it? He does it because he likes God to do something. He likes it. Satan loves it when God has to kill his created free will beings. He loves it. He may, it makes God weep. And that's the goal, right? So they both attack Israel. Why? Do they attack for the same reason? Okay, well, let's, we're doing the hooks. So Ezekiel 38, 3 through 4. Let's read that. And say, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against you, O Gog, the prince of Rosh, Meshesh, and Tubal. I will turn you around, put hooks into your jaws, and lead you out with all your army, horses and horsemen, all splendidly clothed, a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. So that's the key element to all of this. God is going to put hooks in the mouth of Gog of Russia, Gog of Magog, okay, hooks. He's going to hook Gog. Uh, Gog is the ruler of Magog. And as I've said, I say that Magog is Russia. Now, what's the hook? What makes Russia move? What is motivating Russia to attack Israel? Essentially with what? What's described there? An infantry. Israel is a nuclear power. F-16s, F-22s, cruise missiles, a weapons distribution system that is second to only the United States. If that, if it is second, an infantry coming up against that kind of technology could not possibly prevail. Who would know that? Gog would know. Russia would know. See, an infantry comes in modern warfare. An infantry comes as an occupying force after the, uh, the opposition's air force and distribution system are, are launching system has been destroyed after the nuclear launch capability has been degraded and nullified and rendered defunct and lifeless. Otherwise, the counteroffensive would be devastating to Russia, especially to Turkey and Iran. They're so close. But they have no fear of Israel's technology, and that's an important point. They have no fear of uh, Israel's sophisticated weaponry, and that leads you to the obvious question. What has happened that has caused 
this condition to where Russia, Turkey, Iran, and all of these people, all these nations feel like they can prevail, they can succeed. Oh no. Somebody did not set their clock correctly. Please do not make fun of them. <laughs> okay. They're, they're going to walk in in just a second. Everyone look this way. Oh, my goodness. They'll never come back to church here again. It's going to be bad. Maybe we should sing or something while they're here. And they'll think, I just missed the singing like normal. Oh, I, I can't help it. I'm really strong. Okay, let me regather myself here. The counteroffensive would be devastating to Russia, especially to Turkey and Iran, because they are so close if Israel is fully functional. So what has happened to make these countries, especially these countries that are in the proximity who hate Israel so much to be excited about the prospect of attacking? What makes these countries certain that Israel cannot launch a nuclear response? And normally this would be fish in a barrel for Israel, right? This is ducks on the pond. Obviously something has affected the norm as we know it today. This isn't a surprise attack. You can't have a surprise attack if it's an infantry movement. You can't. Not an infantry of that size. Israel would see this coming And though the Islamic side attacks because of hatred, Russia is after something. That's the hook, see? What is it that Russia is after? It is something that I believe that only Israel possesses. No one else has it. And no one else can duplicate what they have. They have something that Russia needs and wants desperately. Now, the Russia's communists, they're atheists anyway. They see this, this testimony of Israel, but God says, I put a hook in your mouth to make you move. And so what is this hook? So to sum this up now, earthquakes are now common at the time of this attack. They're every day. Disease at the time of this attack can be spread worldwide. And by the way, what is required for that? I have to have the ability to travel worldwide. You want to get sick? What's the best way you can do it? Go into an airport restroom. That's number one, right? Okay, so I have to have the ability to get... You want to get sick? Take a cruise. I couldn't take a cruise. I, I get seasick thinking about taking a cruise. And they say, oh, it's so big. You'll never get sick. It's such a big boat. Have you seen how big the ocean is? Yeah. Yeah, I'm not, I'm, I'm not impressed with the, here, I will, I'll call the whiteboard the ocean. I will put the cruise boat on it for you. Ready? Okay. There it is. Everyone see it? There's the cruise boat. And I probably made it too big. I would be sick on that little speck like you wouldn't believe. So I'm not interested in going. And plus I know about worldwide epidemics now. So worldwide travel. And that, by the way, when have we been able to travel all over the world? When have we had the capacity to spread disease like we do now? As a human race, when have we had the capacity to spread disease? Like this, just in the last 50 years or so. 
Maybe not even that. Probably you could put it in the last 25. So the capacity to have a worldwide pandemic is really only recent. Viruses now are resistance to antibiotics. Economically, the world, just ask any nurse, this, we have, we have these bacteriological um, infections now that are very difficult to stop. The MRSA and all the rest of them, flesh-eating bacteria, strep. Economically, the world is in collapse at the time of this invasion. Food is precious. Israel has something that Russia wants and, and cannot use its technology to repel a slow-moving infantry invasion. All of those are the elements of Ezekiel 38 and 39. All of that is the latter time scenario. Now, one can only speculate what caused this, what keeps Israel from being able to respond militarily like they want to, like they're capable of. Is it, is it solar flares, for example, what, what uh, is called the Carrington effect now because of what solar flares can do. Is it anti-satellite capability? Does somebody build a laser powerful enough to take out satellites? Is it an electromagnetic pulse that shut all the electrical systems down, at least for a temporary basis? And maybe all of the aforementioned in concert occurs, but I don't think that's it. Regardless, though, the world as we know it is changed at the time of this invasion. Earthquakes alone can change everything, can't they? Look, when I'm in Alaska, we're in Turnigan. Read about what happens in Turnigan. The ground underneath us turned to liquid. It liquefied. So you're standing on ground. You think the next thing you know, it is liquid. I live in a very bad neighborhood. And Eric will tell you, he called me a while back. He says, look at old maps of the city. Do you know there's a river underneath your house? Yes, I do. I do know that. We have done everything we can to divert it where? That's right, to the neighbor's house. That's exactly right. And what did the neighbor do? Elliot. I never forget. Elliot's in his backyard. He had a boat, and his boat is floating about three months of the summer. And Elliot is busy digging trenches. And then finally, the people behind us, their contractor came in to build the house there, and he dug a hole 15 foot deep, get all the peat out. What happened? Olympic-sized swimming and diving system right there. Filled up with water. Everybody had a dry lot. We were all digging trenches into the hole. And they pumped and pumped and pumped for days before they were able to get all that water out of there. So we have a bad neighborhood. And if an earthquake hits, I'm no longer on sand or compacted gravel. I am on absolute water. That's what I got. So earthquakes can change everything. They liquefy wet ground. And by the way, what causes earthquakes? Why are they steadily increasing in rate and strength? What causes earthquakes? What, see, people ask me all the time, what causes this earthquake? What causes this tsunami? And who do they blame? Who do they blame for? Who gets the blame? They blame God. God did it. And what's implied in that? God's not very nice. If God has sin in him, if you put sin or cruelty in God, if you make him capricious, if you make him infantile, throwing a fit, if that's your image of God, you put sin in him and there's no hope for salvation. He is good. He is always good. He's never not good. So what if it's not God that caused this? What, and if you say it is God that caused it, then you are so desperately wrong. I need to hit you with a shovel or something. Because you have not thought it through. 
So, what has caused it if it's not God? What's your other choice? It isn't the animals, is it? It isn't the plants. Okay, keep guessing. It's sin, yes. And it can be angelic sin, as, as some are saying, or it can be human sin. By the way, uh, Christ, uh, to eliminate those who think that Satan causes all sin, Christ imprisons him for a thousand years. And how's it go? Yeah, we still have a lot of sin. They, they rise up to try to kill him in the end. Billions and billions of them. They're all under the age of 100, by the way. People say to me, wow, how do we get so many people under the age of 100? Well, how many people we got today under the age? Everybody that is under the age of 100, raise your hand. Oh, yeah, good. Good. Thank you for admitting it. Sin is running its course. That's what's causing the earthquakes. Sin. Whose sin? Angelic sin. Our sin. Romans 8.22. The entire creation groans. Earthquakes are the result. They are evidence, if you will, that the culmination of sin is occurring. The earth is, I'm gonna, this is in Isaiah 24:20. The earth is violently broken. The earth is split open. The earth is shaking exceedingly. The earth shall reel and to and fro like a drunkard and shall totter like a hut. Sin is heavy upon it. Isaiah 24:20. The earth is prophesied by Isaiah to teeter like a drunk. What did they say this earthquake did to the, the island nation of Japan? It moved it eight inches. What else did it do? It knocked the earth, what? Off its axis. If we start getting heavy earthquakes, Isaiah 2420 is going to be obvious. It will make the earth teeter like a drunk. Sin results in death and decay, in corruption, in failure. Sin ruins. And now, within this mess of sin, Israel has something, something of great value, something no other nation has, and Russia, Gog, the autocratic ruler of Russia, sees his chance. And remember, again, the world is starving. I have famine. I have pandemics. I have fuel problems. I have collapse of economy. And civilization cannot withstand starvation. Starvation destroys civilized people. I made the point the other day that I will burn the books of the Library of Congress to keep my kids warm. I will. Keep me away from there if you want to. Because I'm going after them. And, and humanity, civilization cannot withstand starvation. Armies uh, will seize food by force. And they'll also seize fuel because fuel is necessary for the production of food. That, the old joke in the, uh, when, when Carter was president and destroying the, uh, the uh, sorry about that, but when he was destroying the capacity of Alaska to, uh, uh, to economically support itself with petroleum-based economies, the bumper sticker was, uh, let them freeze in the dark. It was in that, and there was a word I left out. Yeah, and you know, you were here. But let them freeze in the dark. United, I'm sorry, Alaska has enough oil capacity to replace Saudi Arabia, and it is not being utilized. What could possibly be the reason for that? It has to be, it can't be stupidity. It has to be something more powerful than stupidity. So anyway, if you don't have fuel, you can't make food, you can't stay warm, 
you will starve to death in the dark after you freeze to death, starving in the dark. And armies will not let that happen. They will march. We will have war. Those who think they're protecting the environment, wait till the war comes and see what the environment looks like. No offense. It can't be about that. It can't be. It isn't. We fight against principalities, not just humans. It's a supernatural war that is occurring around us. Can Israel then make fuel out of what? Do they have the capacity to start to make fuel? That's my question. Is that the hook? Can they, can they do some kind of nuclear fusion? The, oh, the computer shut off and now is back on, TJ. So I don't know if that's good or bad. Can Israel make fuel? Can Israel produce food? Can Israel heal its people? Can Israel defeat death? Is it energy capability? Is it food production? Is it medicinal medicine? Is it weapons development? Or is it all of the above? Has Israel raced by the world technologically? Is that what makes Russia come after them? If Israel has raced by the world, and by the way, they have tremendous resources intellectually, and they're driven to do something. But if they have raced, and I'll get to that in a second, if Israel is raced by the world technologically, they are in great danger. And they are driven to race by the world because they're absolutely positively certain of one thing. What's that one thing they're absolutely positively certain of? They're going to be attacked. They know it. It's a matter of time. Time is running out for them. Thus, all their scientific effort is focused on military application right now. All of it. Weaponry. They need every kind of weapon you can imagine. And they also need every kind of defense from every kind of weapon you can imagine. Their best and brightest minds are devoted, devoted to defending themselves, developing weapon systems that can overcome a massive invasion force. Because, by the way, they have read Ezekiel 38 and 39. They're not idiots. And they know that an invasion force is coming from every direction. And they understand that it's an infantry invasion. That they've got it. And they must withstand every conceivable scenario. They have to withstand chemical weapons. And they have to survive biological or biomedical agents. That's why they are not convinced that Saddam Hussein, by the way, didn't have biomedical agents or biological agents. They are positive that they're in Syria. Talk to any Israeli. I had one install my dish antenna. First thing I did is ask him, what do you think has happened to those uh, biomedical and chemical weapons that were used on the Assyrians, by the way, where Hussein killed hundreds of thousands, chemical Ali, right? 100,000 Assyrians killed. What do you think happened to those? They just run out? No. They don't believe that. They believe that they were transported into Syria. They are prepared. Even the common guy on the street in Israel believes that. So they got to withstand every conceivable scenario. Chemical weapons, biomedical or biological, conventional and nuclear. And Israel is rushing to develop defenses. And so the question becomes, do they succeed on all fronts? And I submit that they do. And somehow they expose that they have. And Gog sees it. Russia sees it. 
See, it's very common, by the way, in a military environment to send a force in to see what the other one has. If I can make you reveal what you're, what, it's a card game, right? If I'm sitting at the table and I got Ace King suited, and all I got, and the other guy's over there with an 8-4 offsuit, all he's got to do is push in a little bit to see what I'm going to do. Sorry. Um, that's what this is. If somebody can provoke Israel, by the way, who would like to provoke Israel? Oh, the whole, the whole, whole world over there. If somebody can make Israel attack them, and they can get Israel to reveal what they have, that's very, very important to know. And somehow, I believe that Israel is forced to expose that they have uh, what they have, and Russia sees it. And who else sees it? By the way, who else would want it? China sees it. And Russia comes first. And China may come in Revelation 16:12. That's in some dispute, but I think that you can make the case that they are the kings of the east. Eventually, everyone comes for Israel, though, anyway, even China. And Israel fights, by the way, as no one has ever fought before, Zechariah 12, 8 and 9. Zechariah 12 says, during the tribulation, the feeble among the Jews, the very old, the infirmed, somehow are able to be as the mighty men of King David, and they fight under Unbelievably, and the strong of Israel are incredible, and they almost take out the Armageddon force of the Antichrist. They're defeated, over overwhelming battle. But somehow, Micah four and five, and Zechariah twelve eight and nine, the feeble among the Jews become incredibly powerful. But Jerusalem, as I said, will fall in the tribulation of the Antichrist. But they have great capability, an obvious question. How does that capability develop? When exactly? Ezekiel 38 and 39 describes the first attempt to take what they have. Who's watching? The Chinese are. You guys go get them. Good luck with that. Hope it works out for you. Don't think it will. We have also read Ezekiel 38 and 39. Doesn't look good. But go try it, dummies. How could you, as Turkey and Iran and Russia, can you not read this? How could you possibly attack? What could, what could, did you see what it says will happen to them? God burns Russia, burns it. How, how dumb are they? Isn't there one Russian over there going, hey, well, I might want to read that. Looky here, great earthquake's going to come. Kill us all. That ain't good. Somehow that didn't happen. Ezekiel 38 describes the first attempt to take what it is that Israel has. Now, the Antichrist, he doesn't need what they have. He just wants to kill them all. It's a whole different deal. But Ezekiel 38, 39, I believe, and again, I don't think it's in contest. It's a pre-tribulational event, and God intervenes. The army of Gog is hit with earthquakes and rocks. God is really good with rocks. He likes rocks. He doesn't miss with rocks. And it's hit with earthquakes and rocks and fire and chaos ensues. ensues, And the factions within the Confederacy, they attack each other because they don't really like each other in the first place. And they, they just get into this chaotic fervor and they end up killing each other by the hundreds of thousands. And God will burn Russia and Turkey and Armenia. Roast Turkey. 
How's that for a joke at the end of the sermon? Every nation will know God has come to the side of Israel. Every nation. Psalm 107.27 says this. The wisdom of the world will be swallowed up. The wisdom of the world will be swallowed up. Boy, I hope we get to see that. What's that mean? Is there any atheism in the tribulation? No. None. There is not a single atheist left. If you're an atheist, you're not in good shape. There will be no atheists in the tribulation. How come? Your choice will be either to worship God or to worship the Antichrist. But you're going to worship. You're going to believe in a God. Either the true one or the false one. Every nation will know after Ezekiel 38 and 39 that God has come to the side of Israel. There will be no more silliness. Israel will use the fuel that they gather from this army that came for seven years, Ezekiel 39 and 9. They'll have fuel. And for seven months, they're going to bury the dead. That's why it's a pre-tribulational event. They will not be burning fuel during the tribulation, nor will they be burying people during the tribulation. How do I know that? They're going to be fighting the Antichrist every day. They don't have time to have a burial detail. All of the world will know what happened after Ezekiel 38 and 39. Atheism, as I said, is destroyed, and Islam is in a panic. And then comes the tribulation. So, when is this incredible event, Ezekiel 38 and 39? When is it? When's it going to happen? It's going to happen when earthquakes are everywhere. When there's famine and food is scarce and fuel is scarce and the world economy has failed. So I'm repeating this again. It's going to happen when there are pandemics worldwide. It's going to happen when Turkey, Iran, and Russia are allied against Israel. It's going to happen when Assyria exists. It's going to happen when Israel exists. It's going to happen when the United States simply protests with words as does England, Australia, and Canada. It is going to happen when Russia is ruled by one man, and it's going to happen when infantry invasions are once again viable. And then it happens, and the wisdom of man is swallowed up. Psalm 107. And whenever I've done this lecture in the past, I always conclude with this. How many of these things that I just rattled off to you one more time are true today. How many of them are true today? In the previous years, there's always been about half of them. Half of them were true. And I'd say, well, if half of them have happened, what do you think are the odds the other half will happen? And now how many of them are true? Three-fourths of them are true. What's the obvious question? If it went from half to three-fourths, what's the chances going to seven-eighths? And what's the chance of going to 15, 16, 31, 30 seconds, 63, 64s? What's the chances? That's good. It's good that it's going to keep coming. How do I know it's going to happen? Well, I got it right here. BQL 38, 39. And you should know. How long, O oh Lord, how long, O oh Lord, do we have? Keep watching your earthquakes. Because those are a big sign. Pay attention, because it's coming. Let's rise and be dismissed.
is amazing grace on page three.